First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. Well, it is so good to be with you this morning, church. I do want to welcome also those who are joining us on our iCampus for this service, those listening in over the radio as well uh, right now. And I want to invite you, uh, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you turn with me to Genesis chapter 28. Genesis 28, as the video that uh, we just heard talked about, we're starting our new Christmas teaching series today entitled, God Came Near. I remember uh, reading uh, the book by Max Lucado by that same title uh, many years ago, and uh, it really impacted me then, and the truth of it has, has stuck with me over the years. It's a truth that uh, I hope we would never take for granted, that uh, God came near to us. Uh, as I was praying about uh, what messages to bring you, church, this Christmas season, the Lord brought me back to that idea again, which I think is particularly appropriate in light of uh, the last two years that we have all uh, lived through, uh, where so much has happened in these last years that uh, can be so unsettling for us. And of course, we know just life in general can be uh, unsettling for us at times. And I think it's a powerful truth this Christmas to reflect on that reality that that first Christmas, God came near to us. Uh, that he is still near to us if we know him. And so starting today and all the way through our Christmas Eve services, we're going to be looking at some different passages in the Bible that really just drive that truth home that God came near. And I'm excited about the passage that we're going to look at today. It's a, a story in the Old Testament about a man whose life really was not going very well at this particular moment. Uh, We'll talk more about that in a minute, but he was on the run. Uh, He was out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, He was all by himself, and yet God came near to him and met him. And this man's name is Jacob, uh, and he is about to have a famous dream about a famous ladder. And uh, let's read it together. Genesis 28, starting in verse 10. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went towards Haran. And so he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head, and he lay down in that place to sleep. And then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put at his head, set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that city had been Luz previously. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I'm going 
and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set as a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for this story of, Lord, how you met, how you came near to Jacob so many years ago. Father, we pray today that you would come near to us. That, Lord, we would encounter you, that we would meet you here in this place in this house of God, on this day. Father, speak to us now through your word that we might see your son Jesus more clearly and what he's done for us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if uh, you're not that familiar with uh, the story of this man, Jacob, uh, you have almost certainly heard of his grandfather, whose name was Abraham. Uh, Back in Genesis chapter 12, God chose Abraham and he uh, made Abraham a series of incredible promises. He told him, I'm going to bless you. Uh, I'm going to make a great nation of you. And through you, through your descendants, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. And then God miraculously gave to Abraham and his wife Sarah a son, even in their very old age, and they were past the age of childbearing. They blessed, God blessed them with a son named Isaac. And then the Lord would repeat that same promise that he gave to Abraham. He would repeat it to Isaac. And then Isaac and his wife Rebekah had twin sons, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob's whole life up until this point, if you know his story, you know he had been something of a trickster. Uh, He had been grabbing his older brother's heel when he came out of the womb, and he had been hanging on to his heel ever since. In fact, by this point in the story, two times Jacob had already tricked his brother out of something. He had tricked him out of his birthright as the older brother. And then in the chapter right before this, Genesis 27, he and his mother cooked up a plan uh, to trick his father into giving Jacob the blessing that normally would have belonged to the older brother as well. And so by this time of the story, his brother Esau is none too pleased uh, with Jacob. In fact, uh, he really wants to kill him. And their mother, Rebecca, knows that. And so she calls Jacob and tells him, you need to go away from here. Uh, Your brother uh, wants to kill you. You need to run for your life. And also she instructs him to go to her brother, his uncle Laban's house, and to find a godly wife there. His father Isaac tells him the same thing. And so when we come to our story, Jacob is on the run. He's running for two reasons. He's running to go find a godly wife. We read that story in the next chapter. But even more than that, he is running for his life from his brother. Uh, The story of the journey that he takes, it it certainly is a long uh, journey. Uh, You can see it on the map here. He leaves Beersheba, his home there in the south, and he goes all the way up to the north to Haran there. It was a, a, a distance of over 500 miles altogether that he traveled. By this time, he had made it about 50 miles, about a tenth of the way, and he came to a town just north of Jerusalem uh, that was about to receive the name Bethel. He had probably been traveling two to three days by this point of his journey, and I I figure he was probably looking over his shoulder the entire time, wondering if Esau, who was a hunter, was coming after him to hunt him down. 
It's getting late at night, and so he decides it's time to rest for the night and pick up the journey the next day. And verse 11 says he took one of the stones that was laying around on the ground, and he laid his head on it. And uh, boy, when I read that, you know, I, I thought to myself, you know, I've seen a lot of pillow commercials. Uh, I've seen some that even have this guy in. I don't know if you've ever seen it with this guy, the My Pillow guy. I always love it. He's always holding that pillow like it's a baby, right? You know, it's like, but yeah, I've never seen one of those commercials where he's holding a huge rock in his hands, right? Probably wouldn't sell a whole lot of those, but, but this, is, this is a situation that Jacob is in. He's not exactly at the Hilton, is he? I mean, he's out in, in, in the open air. He has no covering, no bed, no mat, no pillow. You get the impression that he got out of Dodge with not much more than the clothes that he had on his back. And here he is sleeping on the hard ground with his head on a hard rock. And that's really a good picture of where he is in his life right now. His life is in a hard place. But God was about to meet him right where he was. Again, we're talking in this series about how God came near to us. And in this famous story of Jacob's ladder, there are five discoveries that I want us to make together today about the God who came near to us. And here's the first discovery we need to make. It's about God's pursuit. God's pursuit. First of all, God's pursuit of Jacob and then also God's pursuit of us. You look at verse 12 with me again. It says, Then he dreamed, behold, a ladder was set up on the earth and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. So somehow, despite his uh, rock pillow. He was able to fall asleep. I'm guessing he was so tired from his journey. He probably could have fallen asleep in just about any situation. And as he slept and as he dreamed, the Lord met him in his dreams. And he dreamed of a ladder. Now the Hebrew word that's used for a ladder here can also be translated stairway or staircase, but either way, the top of it was in the heaven and the bottom of it was on the earth. So this ladder was the connecting point between heaven and earth. And then moving up and down on the ladder in his dream were angels. And in the Bible, angels are ministering spirits that are sent out by God to do his will. Sometimes they bring messages. We see that in the book of Genesis. Sometimes they come to protect and watch over the people of God, you know, we read in Hebrews, an interesting verse in Hebrews where it says that some of us have entertained angels unaware. In other words, we've met angels and didn't even realize that they were an angel. And it's important to remember that what Jacob dreamed about is still happening today. There, there is still traffic on that ladder today. There are still angels ascending and descending from the presence of God. They are still ministering spirits who are at work on the earth. That's one of the truths that Jacob was to take away from this dream, that God is at work on the earth. God is at work in our lives, but he's at work on the earth. Sometimes when we see the news and we see the current events that are happening around us, we can start to feel like, I don't know what's happening. I don't know where the Lord is at work, but we need to remember he is at work and his plan and his purpose will still be fulfilled in the end. Jacob's dream wasn't only or even really primarily about the angels, it was primarily about God. 
In verse 13, it starts out this way. Behold, the Lord stood above it and said. Now my translation says the Lord stood above it. The Hebrew that's used there can just as well be translated the Lord stood beside him. And some of your English Bibles probably read that way. And uh, really, I I believe that that is uh, more of the picture here, not of God at the top of the ladder looking down upon Jacob, but rather God standing at the bottom of the ladder, standing right beside him. The picture is that God had come near to Jacob. And God was pursuing Jacob. And here's the thing I really want us to think about. What kind of life had Jacob been living up until this moment when God met him? Where was he in his life when God pursued him in in this kind of a way? Uh, One thing that uh, most folks uh, say about Jacob as you kind of study his story here is that he really wasn't a young man at this point of his life. Uh, He was probably about 77 years old. Now, altogether, he lived a little bit longer. Back then, they lived a little bit longer at this time. He lived 147 years. So 77 was a kind of middle age for Jacob. But nonetheless, that he was a middle-aged man. And all the way up until his life at this point, really the picture that we have of Jacob in the Bible is not all that flattering. The picture of Jacob, when you read his story, he comes off as selfish. He comes off as self-absorbed, as unloving, as manipulative, as conniving. The, the, The point is, he really isn't the saint that we would think God would choose to appear like this and to make all of these promises to And again, think about where he is at this very moment in his life when the Lord shows up and makes these promises. He's running for his life. He's anxious. He's afraid. Again, he's on the run. He kind of reminds me of the story Jesus told in the New Testament of the prodigal son. In some ways at this point in his life, that's who Jacob was. He was running. And yet in the story of the prodigal son, you might remember that when the son even starts back towards home, the father in that story, representing God, runs out to meet him. And in much the same way, God is running out to meet Jacob. He's pursuing Jacob, but in our minds, he's, he's not worthy. In our minds, he's not the one that we would have picked. And yet God in his grace chooses him and pursues him and draws near to him. Well, friend, I don't claim to know everything that has happened in your life up until this point, but I wonder if there's not some who are listening right now and you hear this story of Jacob and you hear yourself in it. And maybe you would say, you know what, all the way up until this moment in my life, I I haven't exactly been a choir boy. I I didn't grow up in church. I didn't do everything right. In fact, when you stop and think about it, I pretty much did everything wrong. And maybe you felt like because of the way that you've lived your life up until this point, that maybe, you know, going to church and and following Jesus, you know, that's something that other people can do, but that ship has kind of sailed for me. And I've run too far. I've gone too long without God in my life for him to be able to do anything with me. Maybe that's what you thought. But you know what? God, who didn't stop pursuing Jacob hasn't stopped pursuing you. And you're here today and he loves you. He is pursuing you just as God spoke to Jacob that night in his dream. Friend, God wants to speak to you this morning in his word.
And I hope you'll hang with me to the very end today to hear what God wants to say to you. The first discovery we need to make is about God's pursuit. The second discovery we need to make is about God's promise. God's promise to Jacob and again, God's promise to us. What's amazing to me is what God doesn't say to Jacob in this dream. Again, we know Jacob's story. We know what just happened in the chapter right before this. And and you almost think, you know what? When God starts to speak to Jacob this night, you feel like, you know, the first thing God's going to do is, you know, he's going to like open up a can on him. You know, he's going to put him in his place. He's going to rebuke him for the crazy scheme he cooked up with his mom in the chapter right before this, where he put his brother's clothes on and even put fake hair on his arms to be more like his brother, to fool his blind father into blessing him instead of blessing his brother. This is the story that just happened. And you think, surely God's going to say something about that. He's going to correct him. He's going to rebuke him. But there's, there's not even a word of that. Did you notice that? Does God know that happened? Sure. There's not a word of correction. There's not a word of rebuke. What do you find? There's just a stream of promise after promise and blessing after blessing that God is pouring out undeservedly on Jacob in the things that he says to him. Look with me at verse 13 and 14. This is what God said. I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south, and in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And in these words to Jacob, God is restating basically the same promises he gave to his grandfather grandfather Abraham, the same promises he gave to his father Isaac. Now he's giving these promises to Jacob, a promise about the land that he was sleeping on right then. He said, I'm going to give this land to your descendants after you. And of course, in time he would. He says, I'm going to give you descendants that are going to be very numerous. And of course, at this point in his life, he wasn't married yet. He didn't even have one descendant. And yet the promise God gives him presupposes that all of that is going to take place in his life. And then he gives that same promise he made to his grandfather Abraham. In you and in your seed, all the families on the earth will be blessed. Well, we have the benefit of having read the rest of the story. And we know how that promise works itself out. How through Jacob's line, every family on earth would be blessed. That was fulfilled through his great, 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 great grandson who was born that night in Bethlehem. Through him, all the families of the earth will be blessed. You know, what happened is just like what Balaam said would happen in Numbers 24, a prophecy he gave hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ was born. This is what he said, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. And that star and that scepter, which is a symbol of the king that was to come from Jacob's line, is none other than Jesus the Christ. That's why this promise that God gave to Jacob was not just a promise to Jacob. Friends, it's a promise to all of us. 
And so far we've discovered that our God is a God who pursues us no matter how far we have run. He's a God who gives us promises that we in no way deserve. But the third discovery we need to make about God in this story is the discovery of God's presence. You know, while everything that God said to Jacob was significant in this dream, I think perhaps most meaningful to him at this particular point in his life is what God said in verse 15. Look at that with me. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. These are personal words of reassurance from God to Jacob saying, I am with you. I'm going to protect you as you go on your journey. I'm going to bring you back to the land of your fathers that you have just left. I'm never going to leave your side. I can't imagine at this point in his life, again, with how afraid and alone and isolated, anxious he was, what that meant to him to hear that truth. I am with you. You know, I think probably every parent in this room has had that experience where one of your kids, you know, wakes up in in the night and maybe they've had a bad dream or something and they're having trouble going back to sleep. And so they ask you to come and, and lay with them while they go back to sleep. Sometimes our kids, even as they're trying to go to sleep, you know, at the beginning of the night, you know, will ask us to do that. You know, mom, dad, will you, you know, lay with me, help me to go to sleep. And of course, some nights we do that. Some nights we don't do that because we don't want to, don't want that to be the nightly habit that we have to do that in order for them to go to sleep. And, and there's been, there's been a few times where I've, I've said, you know, that to my, one of my boys, I've said, no, you know, I can't lay with you tonight, son. And, and there's been a few times where they've said to me, well, dad, can you at least just stay in the room? And the idea was that for them, just the fact of knowing that their father was in the room was enough for them to be able to rest. You know, church, the same is true for us. Sometimes with what we're going through in our life, that's all we need to know. We just need to know again that the father is still in the room that he hasn't left you. And if you know Christ, he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He's always in the room with you. I think that's what really struck Jacob from everything he heard in this dream because that's what he kept talking about. Look at verse 16 and 17. Jacob awoke from his sleep. He didn't talk about the angels. He didn't really talk about the ladder. He said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. He was afraid. The word can mean to be astonished, to be in awe. And I'm sure he was in awe of everything that he experienced. But most of all, he was in awe that he had encountered the Lord God Almighty. In verse 19, he names this piece of ground Bethel, which means what he said in verse 17. It means the house of of God. He was saying, this is the house of God. This is where God dwells. This is the gate of heaven. This, this place is the connecting point between heaven and earth. I love what he said most of all in verse 16, when he said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. Now I thought about that in my own life. I'm afraid that sometimes this is true for me and maybe you can relate to this as well. I think sometimes we know up here that God is, is everywhere. You know, if somebody were to ask you, do you believe that God is omnipresent, that he's everywhere? You would say, yes, I checked that box. I believe that about God. 
But sometimes we believe that up here, but we don't really believe it when it comes to the realities of our life. And when we're going through a hard situation, a trying time in our life, sometimes if we're honest, we get to a place where we feel like God is everywhere else except for in this place. He's he's all over the rest of the world, but he's not right here. He's not in this situation that I'm going through in my life. Right now, it feels like he's left me. feels like he's abandoned me. It feels like he doesn't even see me, like he does not know what I am going through. Sometimes, no matter what we know the Bible says, that's the way that we feel. And we need, to, we need to come to that same realization that Jacob came to when he woke up from that dream and to realize, surely God is in this place. I didn't even know it. I lived like I didn't know it, but he's, he's here. He's right here with me. This experience in Jacob's life was one that he would never forget. In fact, he would come back to the same piece of ground in Bethel Years and years after this in Genesis 35, and he'd build an altar there and he'd worship there. He came back to that spot because as far as we know, this is the first time when Jacob encountered the Lord in a personal way. You know, I think every Christian in this room has some times in in our lives that we can think back to that were kind of Bethel moments for us. Think about that first time that you encountered the Lord when you met his saving grace, when he forgave you and you knew your sins were forgiven, you knew that he was living within your heart. Maybe there's been other times that have happened in your life since then and you're, you're thinking about them right now. Maybe times where you're going through a hard time in your life, a difficult time, and God just impressed upon you his presence in a way that maybe even brought tears to your eyes because you knew I'm not alone. You knew that he is with you. And, and here's, here's what I wanna say to you, friend. If, if, you, if you think back to a time like that, when you knew with every fiber of your being that God was with you, do you really think that sometime between then and now, God has left you? Because he hasn't. He's still with you. He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And I know sometimes we don't feel his presence or sense his presence to the same degree that we do when we're having one of those Bethel moment experiences, which by the way, is why our faith should not be rooted and built upon our feelings and our experiences because those will come and go, but our faith is rooted in the assurances and the promises of God's word. Because he says, I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. We know that he never will that he is always with us. You know, Jacob had to discover that Bethel, that little piece of ground called Bethel was not the only place where God was. He had to discover that God was gonna go with him, that really Bethel went with him because God said he was gonna go with him. And it's the same for you and for me. If you you think about it, if the one who lives, who was, excuse me, the one who was born in Bethlehem lives in us, then really we live in Bethel all the time, don't we? We're we're always at Bethel. We're always in the house of God because God lives in us. So our faith in Jesus Christ, he's always present. Here's a fourth discovery that we need to make about our God today in this story. It's the discovery of God's patience. God's patience. You know, God is patient with us as we grow and as we mature in our faith journey. I I certainly think we see that in Jacob's story here. 
Now, after his initial awe and astonishment in verses 18 to 22, it describes what Jacob does the next morning when he wakes up. It says he took that little my pillow that he was sleeping on, right? He set it up as a little monument there to memorialize this place where he had encountered God. He pours oil on it. He consecrates it. He knows it's a holy place. He names the place Bethel, the house of God, as we talked about. And then in verses 20 through 22, he makes a vow to God. And, you know, he's the only one of the patriarchs that ever does make such a vow to God. And we read his words in verses 20 to 22. Look at it with me. Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I'm going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I've set up as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a 10th to you. Now there, there are a lot of different views on this vow that Jacob makes to the Lord. Uh, Of course, we all notice the language that he uses in that vow, right? He says, if the Lord does this, and if the Lord does that, and if the Lord does this, then the Lord will be my God. And so there's some people who kind of take the position of like, you know, I can't believe Jacob would do this and he would talk like that. God had just gave him such incredible, gracious promises. And now this is the way he talks to God. And I even read one that said, you know, God should have just struck him dead right there for his insolence, you know, to talk to God in that kind of a way. And on the other side, there's some commentators who talk about this passage and they said, you know, he's really not saying anything with all those conditions that God didn't already promise to do. And so they say there's nothing wrong with his vow at all. It's perfect just the way that it is. And I feel like the truth probably is somewhere in the middle. You know, I do think that Jacob is trying to respond to what he just experienced the best that he knows how. He had met the Lord. He had met the Lord, I believe, for the first time in his life in a personal way. And he's trying to respond the way that his father Isaac would have, the way that his grandfather Abraham would. So he sets up that stone and he he knows this is a sacred spot. God has just met with me. But then in the words that he speaks, in light of the gracious promises that God had just given him, you read the words that he speaks and it does leave a little bit to be desired, doesn't it? God had already promised him these things, and yet he's saying, well, Lord, if you do all these things, you fulfill all these things, then, then you can be my God. I believe that Jacob truly encountered the Lord on this night, and that from this point on, his life began to be changed little by little. But just like a new believer today, I believe there was still a little bit of the old, let's make a deal Jacob left in Jacob. His faith was real, but it was new. And he was still immature in his faith. If you read on in Jacob's story, it was going to take another face-to-face encounter with God that happened about 20 years after this. You can read about it in Genesis 32 where he literally wrestles with God and God has to pin him to the ground and put his hip out of socket before all of that old Jacob comes out of Jacob. But what I love as I read this story here is that even in spite of the conditional nature of Jacob's vow, if you do this, if you do that, again, there's not a word of rebuke from God, not a word of correction. There's patience. And here's the amazing thing. Do you know God does every single thing that Jacob asked him to do in the years that came after this? Everything that was in that vow, God does it for him. 
He does everything that he promised Jacob that he would do. Here's this person whose faith is weak, who is selfish, who has kind of conned and shystered his way to everything that he's gotten so far in life. And yet God meets him where he is and God lavishes his grace on him. And I don't know about you, but that brings a lot of hope and a lot of comfort to me. Because sometimes my faith is weak and sometimes I'm selfish and sometimes I act spiritually immature and yet God doesn't take his hands off of me. He's long-suffering with us. He's patient with us. He, he bothered with somebody like Jacob and thank God he bothers with somebody like me. And I know you're thankful that he bothers with you, that he shows patience to us. He allows us to grow and to mature and maybe you're here today and you would say, you know what, over the last couple of years, I know I haven't been where I needed to be. Even with all this stuff that's happened with COVID and all of that, instead of kind of pressing in closer to God, when I look back at the last couple of years, it's almost like I took a few steps back from God. And I'm ashamed of that. And I feel like because I've taken a step back from God, I feel like maybe God has taken a few steps back from me. And yet, what do we read in this passage? God is not backing away from us, is he? He's pressing in. And he's pursuing us with his love and with his patience, with his grace. He's coming near. So far, we've talked about God's pursuit and God's promise and God's presence, God's patience. But there's one more discovery I want us to make in this story, and that's the discovery of God's plan. God's plan of salvation. God's plan for how heaven and earth can meet even today. You know, there's a, another story that shows up even earlier in the Bible than the story of Jacob's ladder. You find it back in Genesis chapter 11. And it's the story of a group of people who in their pride and in their arrogance wanted to try to connect heaven and earth. They wanted to build a tower that would reach so high that its top, they said, would reach all the way into the heavens. Most likely the shape of that tower was the ancient ziggurat. You see a, a rendering of that. And you see the stairway, the walkway that wraps itself around and around, higher and higher, all the way to the top. They thought they could work their way and walk their way all the way up into heaven. But as we know, that was doomed to fail. God wants us to know that's not how it works at all. We don't get to heaven because we work hard at it. We don't get to heaven because we build our way there. Because we don't get there because we construct our way there through a staircase or a ladder of our own good works that enables us to walk up rungs that we have put in place to get up to God. No, we don't do that. We are sinners who can never get to heaven on our own. I was trying to teach my kids that truth a few years ago and we were over at my in-law's house and they had a, step of, a flight of stairs that went up to their second floor. And I was standing a few steps up and I had my kids at the bottom of the stairway. And I said to them, the first one that can get up here to me, I'm going to give you a dollar. And of course, they were excited about that. They want to get that dollar. I said, but here's the rule. The rule is your feet are not allowed to touch any of these steps. You can't touch these steps and you can't touch the, I knew, I, I know they're mine. I said, you can't touch the railing, you can't touch the wall. I know what they were going to try. And they started coming up with ways, you know, how can we do it? And they're talking about it. And they say, well, what if I get on my brother's back? And I'm like, well, then his steps or his feet are touching the steps. You can't do that either. None of y'all can touch the steps. And they sat there and they're thinking about it. And finally they realized this is impossible. But then one of them 
came out with the right answer. And he said, well, Dad, you said that our feet couldn't touch the steps. And so we can't come up the steps to you. But Dad, can't you come down the steps to us? And can't you put us on your back? And can't you carry us up the steps to where you are? Friend, I hope you know that's the story of the Bible. That's what God has done for us. We couldn't walk up the steps to him. And so he walked down the steps to us. We don't want to live at Babel. We want to live at Bethel, where God has come near to us. You know, even more than living at Bethel, we want to live at Bethlehem. Because that's the story that Bethel was pointing us forward to. That's when God ultimately walked down the ladder and came near to us is when he came and was born as a baby that first Christmas. You know, before we close, there's, there was a time when Jesus actually talked about our story. Talked about the story we read today, the story of Jacob's ladder. You can find it in John 1. For the sake of time, we won't turn there. But in John 1, Philip goes and gets his friend Nathaniel, brings Nathaniel and says, listen, you got to meet him. The Messiah has come. The promised one is here. And when Nathaniel comes, Jesus says to him, Nathaniel, before Philip called you and told you to come to me, when you were still sitting under the fig tree, I saw you sitting there. And Nathaniel knew there was nobody else around. There's no way that Jesus could have seen him. And he said to him, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus said to him, you know I'm the king of Israel just because I said I saw you under a fig tree? (laughs) Well, buckle up, cowboy, because you're about to see a lot more than that. And he surely did, didn't he? As he walked with Jesus over the next three years, think about all that he saw, all the miracles he witnessed. But then Jesus said this to Nathanael in verse 51 of John 1. Most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending, where? Upon the Son of Man, which is a reference to himself. Do you know what Jesus just said? He just said, I'm the ladder. Jacob had a dream about a ladder. I am the ladder. The angels of God are ascending and descending upon me. In other words, he's saying, I am the connecting point between heaven and earth. It's the same thing he would say to Thomas later in John chapter 14. Remember when Jesus said, I'm about to go away. Thomas said, we don't know how to find you. We don't know where you're going. We don't know how to get to heaven where you are. And what did Jesus said? He said, Thomas, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. You have to walk up this ladder. It's the only one. You have to find me. Jesus has come and died on the cross for us. Jesus is Jacob's ladder. Jesus is the only reason why a sinful man like Jacob could be in heaven as he is right now. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, he's the only reason a sinful man like me could be in heaven one day. And friend, I hope you think about that as well. It's only because of what Jesus did at the cross for you that you could be in heaven one day. It's because he is the ladder. He came down to us. We can keep trying to build our own ladders, try to build our own staircases to get to heaven. That's gonna work out about as well for us as it did for the people at Babel. Our staircases lead to nowhere. We need the one who came down the ladder to save us. 
And we need the one who is the ladder, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me if you would. We're gonna sing and we're gonna worship the Lord together. And I wanna invite you, friend, if you're here today and you would say, again, up to, up to this point in my life, I've kind of been like Jacob. I've been on the run. I've been trying to build my own staircase. I know I can't do it. I know I need to receive that gift of Jesus into my life. If that's you, I wanna invite you to come right now. You can leave the, the seat where you are. Bring a friend with you if you wanna bring a friend with you, but just come and share that with me. Share that with one of the other pastors that you see here up at the front and just simply say, I need to receive Jesus in my life. I know I can't work up to him. I, I know he came down for me and I wanna give my life to him. You come as we sing together, as we worship.